Good morning. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30, chapter, Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, through the entirety of chapter 20, so through verse 18 in chapter 20. Now maybe you thought last week in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that the text was a little bit rough. Well, that was just an appetizer for today's rough passage that we're going to have to read about. The behavior may not be worse this week, but it certainly isn't better. And the wickedness we read about this morning is not done by the villains of Sodom and Gomorrah, but by Abraham, the father of the faithful, and by his righteous nephew Lot, and by Abraham's great nieces. And here the scripture doesn't hold back at all. And this is not a place where... When you're invited to preach somewhere, you don't really pick this passage. You pick David and Goliath, right? You hit the giant in the head with the stone. We get to hear about that. Or Mordecai informing Esther, for such a time as this, God has raised you up. That's the kind of passage that you pick. Or Joseph, faithful in the prison. You don't talk about Lot sleeping with his daughters when you've been invited to preach somewhere. And so when we, when we look at this passage we ought to ask ourselves, why has God included this sordid, sinful passage in the Bible? And in fact, here with Abraham's story with Sarah and the king Abimelech, we've already heard this story. It was with Pharaoh, but why is it here again? Why do we have to listen to this again? Well, it's because God wanted you to hear it. So today we're going to read it. We're going to figure out why God has placed this, these stories back to back in the narrative of Genesis. So I'll begin reading in verse 30, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version this morning because I'm old and don't have glasses yet, and this is the biggest print Bible I have in my office. Here we go. Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters because he was afraid to live in Zoar. Instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. And there's no man in the land to sleep with us, as is the custom of all the land. Come, let us get our father to drink wine, so that when we sleep with him, we may sleep with him and preserve our father's line. So they got their father to drink wine that night, and the firstborn came and slept with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Look, I slept with my father last night. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight so you can go sleep with him and we may preserve our father's line. That night they again got their father to drink wine and the younger went and slept with him. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son named Moab. He is the father of the Moabites till this day. The younger also gave birth to a son. She named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. When he was staying at Gerar, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar had Sarah brought to him. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? (laughs) Didn't he himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. 
Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. Early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told them all these things, and the men were terrified. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also asked Abraham, What made you do this? Abraham replied, I thought there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, Show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, He's my brother. Then Abimelech took flocks and herds and male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham and returned to his wife, and he returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And he said to Sarah, Look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so that they would bear children. For, God, for the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Well, that, that is a cheery piece of scripture, isn't it? You like to stumble across that in your daily devotions. Let's talk about the sinfulness of Lot. I scarcely even know how to comment on the sinfulness of this moment in Scripture. And I can barely imagine a more hopeless and repulsive episode in all the Bible. There are a few hopeless and repulsive episodes in the Old Testament that come close or maybe equal this sorry uh, action, but not many. This is pretty bad. Lot is cowering in a cave outside of Zoar because he's afraid to stay there. Now, we don't know if he's afraid to stay there because God just blew up Sodom and Gomorrah and he thinks God's going to blow up Zoar. We can't live there. Or maybe the people kind of ostracized him and he was afraid for his life because he's the only guy who escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe they thought he was bad luck. We don't know. All we know is, is that Lot winds up cowering in a cave outside of Zoar And whatever the reason, there he is. And his daughters are convinced that everybody else on earth is dead for some reason. That there's no way that they're going to find husbands. And so they get their father so drunk that he doesn't know when they laid down and when they got up. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's so drunk and out of his mind. They concoct a terrible, awful plan. And they succeed. They give birth to two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites, who will be almost always perpetual thorns in the sides of Israel. So this is a bad scene. That's the sin of Lot. There we have Lot. He did this wicked thing. And then here's Abraham. And this story is a repeat. If you recall, just a few chapters ago, Abraham went down into Egypt and Pharaoh took Sarah as a wife because he told Pharaoh, this is my sister. And you would think that maybe he would have learned his lesson the first time. Or at least Sarah would have said, if you ever do this to me again, I will kill you. But no, he tells the exact same story again. He's already done this deed once. And listen, the angels have just come 
and seen him and said, Within a year, Sarah is going to have you a son. And he gives her to Abimelech as a wife. What is going on here? This is sad. This is the same Abraham who armed with a little over 300 men came and whipped the armies that had destroyed the people of Sodom and Gomorrah before they actually totally got destroyed. So it's not like he's without help or that he is given to such cowardice, but here he is. It's distressing. And even after he's confronted, he gives this lame excuse. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. I mean, this is terrible. It's terrible that she's his sister in the first place, half-sister. Their kids are their own first cousins. Go home and think about that for a minute. I mean, this is bad. It's a bad deal all the way around. He's making excuses. He knows this was his wife. He's saying, besides, I only kind of half lied to you, as if that makes it better. And Abimelech is put in the place of Abraham. Remember just a couple weeks ago, Abraham is standing out and God says, I'm fixing to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, will you indeed sweep away the innocent with the righteous? Far be it from God to destroy the innocent. And here God comes to Abimelech, this king that Abraham thinks there's no fear of God before their eyes. And he says the words of Abraham, God, will you destroy an innocent nation that has not sinned? And the answer is no. So Abimelech, the guy who's supposed to have no fear of God, demonstrates that he has more fear of God than Abraham in this passage. In fact, when Abimelech says, hey, God's about to destroy us all on account of this woman because it's really Abraham's sister, all the people were terrified of God because they knew he could do it. After all, he had just blown up Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham has fallen so far that this king that he assumes is pagan has more fear of the Lord than him, he has given away his wife to be another man's wife and never said a word. So Lot, sleeping with his daughters, Abraham's giving away his wife and acting like a coward is terrible. And it comes to Abimelech to pray and intercede on behalf of the innocent nation. Now, why does God put this here? Let me ask you a question We need to think about the narrative of the scripture. What is it that God is trying to teach us here? Why would he put this in this spot? What did you think about the judgment of Sodom? What did you think about God raining fire and sulfur from heaven and just obliterating that place? Not only just the place, but everything that lived in it, even the crops. What did you think about that judgment? I mean, seriously, when you think of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you think they deserve that? They deserved what they got. Because they were wicked. And they were. There's no dispute. They were wicked people. Do you think of the people of Sodom, the Sodomites, as the bad guys? They're the bad guys. They got what they deserve. If you've thought that, let's go a little deeper into that thought. Do you ever think that people today who behave like those sinners in Sodom also deserve the fire and wrath of God to fall on them. Are you like James and John, the sons of thunder, who said, God, call fire out of heaven and destroy them for not welcoming you? Is that how you felt in your heart? Just be honest. Because you read that and you, do, you should feel like the people of Sodom are wicked and you should feel like God should judge that wickedness because it is abhorrent. It's terrible. We should feel that way about sin. That's the way God feels about it. But then you get to today's text and all of a sudden you get more sympathetic. 
You get more sympathetic. You wish God would judge the sinners of Sodom, but you just sort of shake your head at Lot and Abraham? What's the difference between the inhabitants of Sodom and Lot and Abraham? What's the difference? Do not all these acts deserve the judgment of God? Is that why God has included these stories right after the judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah? Is this why in Genesis we are repeatedly seeing that God has to intervene in human history in wrath and judgment because we cannot keep it together? God floods the entire earth. He makes man and woman. He puts them in the garden. What do they do? They sin. He judges them. He kicks them out of the garden. They have to go away. The... uh, Cain rises up and slays his brother Abel. He goes off into another city. The next thing you know, wickedness has abounded so much on the face of the earth that Noah is the only survivor of a worldwide flood. Then the people who survive and their their children, the children of the people on the ark, build a city and they say, hey, we're going to stick around here and we're going to build up a a tower into the heavens so so that we won't be scattered on the earth even though God told us to go out and be fruitful and multiply. And God judges that place and the people are scattered all about. And then he comes to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah and he goes down there and the place is so wicked he blows it up. And now then we have his own servants, Lot and Abraham, doing these wicked things. What is the difference between the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and Abraham? You probably think that Lot was the worst sinner of the two and in some ways that's right, but hey... Giving your wife away to another king after the hope of the entire universe rests in the baby that she's about to have versus incestuous relations with your daughters. Do we really want to judge which one's doing the worst thing here? I want to read something to you from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. This is New Testament. If God rescued righteous Lot... Let me stop there for a second... <laughs> If God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Not once, not twice, three times, Peter says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, righteous Lot. Is that what you got from Genesis 19, 30 through the end of the chapter? Righteous lot. Is that the word that popped in your mind? What about Abraham? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he was to receive the inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Faithful Abraham, righteous Lot. (laughs) And yet, purposefully in this narrative, they are compared to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. How many times does God have to say to Israel, had I not left you a remnant, you would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah? Even Jesus Christ himself said to the people of Israel that in the day of judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up and condemn you. For if the miracles had been done in her that were done in you today, they would still be here. Think about it. 
I'm serious. Think about it. What's the difference between Lot and Abraham and the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's tie it all together. Why does God put these terrible sinful failures right after the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Here's why. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What Moses wants to teach you in writing this here is that Abraham and Lot are not saved because they're any better than the people of Sodom. That's the truth. God teaches us through these two passages that every single hero of the faith from righteous Lot to faithful Abraham to King David to the apostles to every single person in this room, we are all sinners upon whom the judgment of God could rightly fall. Now, I have heard this said, and I'm not sure who said it first, but I I used to hear people say a lot that if God does not judge America for the sins that we're doing, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of the grace of God. God does not owe any apologies for any judgment he enacts at any time. The only reason we linger is because of the grace of God. and He need not apologize for it. Why would you have God apologize for grace? Do not be so quick to see the judgment of God meted out, brothers and sisters, for if he was hasty in his wrath, we would all be dead. That's the truth of the Old Testament and the New. The difference between righteous Lot and faithful Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah is this. They were made righteous through grace by faith not by works. They will never boast before God because of the works that they did. Every single passage in the Old Testament is a testament to God's grace. Not a single patriarch in the Bible, not a single soul in heaven ever persevered by law and works. None. Not Abraham, not Lot, not Moses, not David, not Joseph. None. No one will be in heaven because they are good people. Nobody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all gone astray. We've all gone to our own way. We all have the poison of snakes or asps under our tongues. Our mouths are open graves. When we breathe out, we sin. We do not glorify God as we should. We do not love Him as we should. We do not love our neighbor as ourselves. We are sinful people. Every single act that we have committed, even our sweetest, most Desperate regions for faith, we are shot through with sin in everything we do. If God were to sweep us away and he were to chronicle it for the people that he made later, they would understand why God destroyed us. And they would say he is just and right in all of his judgments. We are a people of dirt. We're made from the dust. And we defy the living God with our faithless acts. That's why this is put right after Sodom and Gomorrah to make sure that we know that Abraham did not persevere because he's such an excellent person. He persevered because of God's grace and his wrongdoings were overlooked because of his faith in God. As Matt read this morning in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, this is true of Abraham, it is true of Lot, it is true of us. We deserve all the things I said. It sounds very harsh. It's depressing. It's bad. But look, Ephesians 
2, 4 through 9 begins with, but God. <laughs> it's good. He talks about the wrath of God that is shown from heaven against the unrighteousness of men, but God. But God being rich in mercy. That's why God hasn't judged us. He's rich in mercy. There's enough sin in his own church for God to judge us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the difference between Lot and Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. The grace of God. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now how is it that God is going to display his immeasurable riches of grace in us and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? Because we weren't judged. Because we got off scot-free. By grace through faith. God will show us the depth of His grace and mercy and His character by saying, These are my children. Beloved. Though their sins were great, His great love has cast them as far away as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. One of the most wonderful truths you can learn about God, and you can think about this in a philosophical way and hurt your head if you want, but we say that God is omniscient and all-knowing. He knows everything. And yet, he says, I will remember their sins no more. How can the God who knows everything forget what we've done? Grace through faith. I will remember their deeds no more. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And he has not conferred this gift on everyone. You are a privileged people. Jesus himself said, If the works that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in dust and ashes. Sodom and Gomorrah did not get to see the things that you've seen and the things that you've heard, or else they might be with us to this day. God has given to you a great gift. This sermon today, as whatever, God will judge it in its adequacy. But even in my attempts to teach you the gospel, you have heard much grace today and are very fortunate to have received such a gift, as am I. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast before God. Abraham, our great patron saint, our father in the faith, will not brag before God about his great and mighty deeds. What will be the boast of Abraham? Though my sins were many, God has delivered me from them all by grace through faith. That's the boast of Abraham. And if we want to be his children, that must be our boast also. What will righteous Lot say? Do you think that this passage is here 
Lot knows what he did. Do you think he would be embarrassed to be called by God righteous Lot, righteous soul, righteous man? How do you think that makes him feel? It should make him feel humiliated and unworthy. But the title is his because it has been won for him by Christ. Because his righteousness did not come from his works, but from the works of his Lord. And though he was an imperfect, failing man, he clung to God by grace through faith. And no matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, if we cling to Christ by grace through faith, we will be called righteous. If you think that you deserve this crown, you are not yet one of Abraham's children. If to think of yourself as righteous does not bring humility to your heart, knowing what's in there, you do not yet understand the depth of mercy that God has shown to you on account of Jesus Christ. And if we think that our heroes of the faith are not too also sinners in great need of the grace of God, probably just haven't lived long enough and haven't seen enough things. The only hero, the only true hero, of the book of Genesis in the Old Testament and the New is God Almighty, deliverer of His people. He is our only hope. He is our steadfast and sure foundation. Everything else is sinking sand. That is a fact. So this morning, as you look at this and you think, think about your own heart and think about your own mind. When you read about those villains in Sodom, and when the rains of fire came and sulfur melted, sulfur melted them to ash, did you think, good? Then you think, why has not the sulfur and fire fallen on me? Because you're hidden in Christ. Why do you think God tells us that the first thing Noah did after he got out of the boat, after he made his sacrifice, was to build for himself a vineyard and get drunk and pass out? <laughs> Noah wasn't on that boat because he was so awesome. He was on there because he found grace in the eyes of God. God has been merciful to us. Merciful to Abraham and merciful to Lot and merciful to us all. So what we have as a privilege as the people of God is to go around preaching a gospel that saves by grace through faith, not of works. That no matter what anyone has done and no matter where they're from, No matter what has happened, if they will repent and trust in Christ, he will save them. That's the good news of the gospel. And that our sins are remembered no more. Yes, Abraham messed up. He sinned. But God delivered him. God delivered him. And next week, God will deliver on his promise to a very sinful man and to a sinful lady though I do not blame her for this, even Abimelech, the the pagan king, says, you are vindicated. Sarah, what's she going to do? Now, also, think about this. She's like 90 years old. What is going on there? I do not know. (laughs) I reckon when God made her where she could have children again, uh, the old rabbis used to say it wasn't just that uh, everything started working again, but he made her young and beautiful, and that was the problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he completely started her over. I have no idea. All I know is this 91-year-old woman, or however she, however old she was here, she was 90. Abimelech said, I would like to have her as a wife. 
whoa, things were different back in the day. But Sarah will be there. She will be in heaven. I look forward to meeting her and hearing more of her story. I do. And Rebecca too. We'll spend a lot of years hearing from their perspective about Isaac and Abraham, Jacob and all his wives. Lord, have mercy. Brothers and sisters, be grateful this morning and don't be so quick to be angry at those wretched, wicked sinners out there. <laughs> because God can turn them to saints like that. And it won't be because they're awesome, it'll be because He is. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning and your grace that you've shown us. We know that we are all made righteous through grace by faith, not of works. We will never boast of anything before your throne except for Christ and his glory and his goodness and mercy that he showed to us sinners that we might be saved. Lord, we pray this morning if there's someone in our midst here who does not know Christ that you will help them see the glory of the resurrected King. And if Anybody here has a burden on their heart about a family member, a friend who either doesn't know Christ or they don't seem to show the fruits of the Spirit or they've drifted away from the fellowship of the saints. Lord, I pray that you will bring them back by your sweet grace, by the cords of the love of your Son. Lord, help us. God, have mercy on our souls. Help us to be a humble people who rejoice and boast only in the cross and the resurrection of our Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing a song.